Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Every Sunday, I share scrumptious information on all things food with grand guests that will elevate your culinary knowledge, tasty travel tips for food enthusiasts, and wine and cocktail conversation that will hopefully quench your thirst, and it is all to feed your soul. So don't touch your dial, because this hour, I'll give you something to chew on. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen with my daily dish. And since we're deep into the heat of summer, I thought we'd kick off today's show with some cool ideas and chef's tips for a BLT. There was a wonderful piece written uh, recently for Tasting Table that highlighted the simple beauty of a BLT. It inspired me to have a BLT party. So my husband and I invited some friends over. I lined the kitchen countertop with brown butcher paper. I set out a big pile of crispy, thick-cut smoked bacon, sliced heirloom tomatoes seasoned with salt and pepper, crisp romaine lettuce. I made a bacon mayo, more on that later, country bread with the toaster alongside, some sliced avocados, and then I put out sriracha and some other condiments, and we had a DIY BLT party. And needless to say, it was really delicious and super fun. The BLT sandwich is really, to me, the sandwich of the people. There's just something about the way that the juicy tomatoes seep into the bread and that crisp bacon to offset the tender tomato and lettuce. But to master the perfect BLT sandwich, in my humble culinary opinion, you simply have to consider the simplicity of it. So when you're making a BLT, you have to make it count, right? There are just a few essential ingredients, and they're self-explanatory to a BLT, but that means that there's really nowhere to hide. So the ingredients have to be top shelf. The bacon should be thick cut, and in my preference and liking, it should be apple wood smoked. And the tomatoes should be at their bursting, like peak of the season point. And the lettuce, depending upon what you like, should be crisp in some form or full of flavor. And I'll get to that as well. And then there's the mayo. I say spike the mayo for a BLT. It could be as simple as mixing in some freshly grated lemon zest from your microplane grater, or you could add roasted garlic. If you've roasted some garlic bulbs, you could squeeze out the cloves and add them into either store-bought or homemade mayonnaise, and you'd therefore have a traditional aioli. But when it comes to spiking the mayo, I like to push the envelope. And if you know me, you know I love bacon, and in fact, as I love to share the three Bs... Bacon, butter, and beer, yes, all three make most things taste really good. When it comes to truly making the ultimate BLT, I make a double bacon, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich because everyone loves the classic BLT, but this kicked up version is made with homemade bacon mayonnaise, and it is outrageously 
scrumptious. You, of course, cook the bacon off as you would for your BLTs, but you make a little extra and you take a couple of the crispy strips of bacon and you finally chop them and you mix them into either store-bought or homemade mayonnaise, up to you, stirring to combine really well. And then you have this sort of double bacon sandwich because you get the crispy bacon from what's layered uh, in between the bread. But then you also get an added punch of bacon from the mayonnaise spread that coats the bread and softens the crispness from the toaster, gives the tomatoes something silky to sort of pair with, coats the lettuce a little bit, you know, gets on the side of your mouth. That deliciousness just cannot be beat. And then, of course, since you're making a bevy of bacon, you want to save your bacon fat because throwing away all that flavor would be very, very shameful. You can save it to fry French fries. You can cook Sunday eggs in it. You can even saute veggies in it. I never throw away bacon grease. It is the base for a great chowder. It lasts forever in the fridge. And I actually wrap mine well in plastic wrap. Because like butter, you'll find that other flavors might infuse themselves, like a half a red onion in your produce bin, into the bacon grease. So just make sure you pour that hot bacon grease left over in the pan into a ramekin or a heat-proof bowl. Let it cool completely on the counter. Then wrap it in plastic wrap or put it into, slip it into a Ziploc bag and then store it in the back of the fridge for whenever you need it. Now, there are a few twists to a BLT. You could sub dressing for the mayo, like make a green goddess with avocado. That would add in the blat factor, bacon, lettuce, avocado, tomato. You could add sprouts to the sandwich for uh, a healthy twist or sliced cucumber to make it veggie centric. And then back to the lettuce conversation for just a moment. You could choose the crispy romaine or traditional iceberg, but why not sub in arugula for peppery goodness or even swap out the bacon for pancetta? And then you can add the taste of summer to a BLT with fresh corn kernels that add this beautiful sweetness. It gets a little messy because they fall out uh, as you're eating it, but uh, it's just so good. Or what about making a smoky chipotle tomato vinaigrette for a last drizzle where you'd blend in your blender or food processor some cherry tomatoes or the leftover pieces from the tomatoes, the heirlooms that you sliced, along with a little bit of uh, adobo sauce from that can of chipotles, a splash of vinegar, a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper. You have a smoky tomato chipotle vinaigrette and you could drizzle that over the sandwich to gild the lily. Now that sounds delicious, right? So there you have it. That is the ultimate summer BLT party. And trust me, your friends will want to come. I'll come. You can find my double bacon BLT recipe at chefjamie.com and I hope you'll check it out. And in food news this week... There are pastry chefs across the country all abuzz because there are new flours every day being milled in beautiful flour mills across the country. We're seeing lots more of the really beautiful benefits of alternative flours, right? The almond flour and garbanzo and um, hundreds of varieties of whole wheat flour from different mills, from different grains. But there is a new flour on the market called coffee flour. It is naturally caffeinated. It is made from the coffee cherries. Those are the flowers or the little buds on a a coffee bush. 
And when you bake it into pastries, it's my understanding that the caffeine delivers sort of a gradual boost of energy, but without the crash of like your morning cup of coffee. So uh, pastry chefs are searching high and low for this coffee flour. I found it for you. It's available to great home cooks at markspantry.com, M-A-R-X-P-A-N-T-R-Y.com at just $9 a pound. And I'd love to know what you bake with it. So please email me, jamie at chefjamie.com so we can dish. Oh, and another mention in food news, because this is news that you can use. If you're a food enthusiast, you'll want to know this scoop. Postal workers are delivering ice cream along with the mail this summer. Because the United States Postal Service has released new stamps that feature banana splits and ice cream sundaes and double scoop ice cream cones. But you have to make sure that you don't lick them because they look so good because these stamps are self-adhesive, by the way. (laughs) And that is food news for the week. And do not touch your dial because the grilling god we know and love Meathead Goldwyn is here, and he's creating amazing grilled vegetables. He and I will share enlightened conversation just after the break. Plus, we are dishing on Hatch Chili season. It has started, and the chilies are brilliant this year. So, chili heads unite and stay tuned. Robert Schuler of Melissa's Produce, our produce guru, stops by before the end of the hour. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and there's more fabulous food right after this. Don't go away. Sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate every Sunday. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The Barbecue Whisperer is back. And Amazon just named his cookbook the best cookbook of the year 2016 thus far. And it only released on May 10th. And by the way, you heard about it here first. Meathead Goldwyn, whom I'm proud to call my friend and who I really can't wait to grill with, makes amazing ribs and brats and short ribs and lamb lollipops too. Oh, and vegetables, by the way. He's the founder of AmazingRibs.com, the hugely popular website. He released his first cookbook, as mentioned, just a couple of months ago, and it is all a buzz. It's entitled Meathead, The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. And the king of meat is actually stopping by today to dish on vegetables and I'm very glad to have you welcome back meathead congratulations what an Amazon honor that is very glad to be back with you Mm -hmm. Uh, you you. were uh, one of the first people I got to talk to about the Mm -hmm. book and uh, I'm just thrilled to be back and are are you loving the ride I mean has it been an extraordinary experience sharing the the gospel of grilling oh god yes I love staying in hotel rooms That's the price you pay, buddy. That's the uh, price you geez. pay. Uh, but I, I'm actually back at my desk now for about a week here, and I've oh, got nice. a couple of uh, about three weeks actually, where I'm primarily at home base because the garden is in full bloom, and although the wife is the chief gardener, and I'm in charge of 
raking and weeding. Uh, I'm also uh, deeply involved in the cooking, and there is nothing more thrilling than harvesting your own tomatoes and beans and eggplants and grilling them up. Oh, and I agree with you entirely. So let's talk about grilling vegetables. Uh, Meathead goes potato head, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, really, in August, I don't care how much you love meat. I think we eat vegetarian maybe three or four nights a week in uh, in August. You just, uh, first of all, the, the bounty. We have a reasonably good-sized garden. The bounty is overwhelming. And uh, what can be better than fresh corn, fresh mm-hmm. tomatoes? Um, uh, you know, sure. Garrison Keillor once said, fresh sweet corn is better than sex. Before we get into specific vegetables, can you talk about reverse searing, please? Because it's all a buzz for larger cuts of meat because you've taught us how to sort of change our mindset when it comes to not quickly searing the meat or marking it first and then moving it into the indirect heat, but actually the opposite. And you apply reverse searing to vegetables. The basic theory is this, um, that when you put a lot of heat or energy onto the surface, let's say of a steak, big thick steak, an inch, inch and a half thick steak, um, it starts to push the energy down into the center of the meat. And if you grill it just on the hot side only, you get a very wonderful, flavorful Maillard reaction exterior, and that's a chemical reaction that creates flavor we call sear. Um, But then you get a layer of brown beneath it, and then a layer of tan beneath it, and then a layer of pink beneath that. And finally, in the center, you get that perfect medium rare, which is maximum tenderness and juiciness. But if you start it away from the direct heat, if you divide your grill in half and have one side with direct radiant heat, all the coals on that side and or the gas burners on that side are on high, and on the other side there's no coals, no gas burners on, it will warm gently in, in, in convection heat. And that, even, that heats it more evenly. And at the end of the cook, if you move it directly over the high heat with the lid open and you just pound one side with energy and then flip after a minute or two, and when you do that, the energy dissipates into the atmosphere. You're working on the surface, but it's not pushing the energy deep into the meat so much. And so you get beautiful dark exterior and a really even temperature, even color interior. And I do it for baked potatoes. Um, oh. I'll do it for steak. It's really a good technique for chicken because if you hit chicken with high heat at the beginning, you're going to burn it before you get the interior cooked to a safe temperature. Right. It just makes an awful lot of sense. Now, if you're going to make a stew, a wet cooking technique, like in a crock pot or in a um, Dutch oven, you've got to sear it first. But this for dry heat cooking, Searing at the end makes an awful lot of sense. It's the same concept that they use when they make sous vide. In fact, on the grill... I call it redneck sous vide. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's that slow, constant temperature heat to slowly cook the protein so that you get that beautifully desired tenderness and juiciness as you talk about. And that makes perfect sense to me because a stringy chicken breast comes from too long on the grill, in my opinion, and the fact that you've cooked it from the exterior in for so long that it's destined to dry out. What does reverse searing apply to when it comes to the the beauty and bounty of vegetables? What can, other than baked potato, for Well, for I, I do, a, what I do with a baked potato is I'll slice it in half and then I'll reverse sear it. 
and then you get a nice. Do dark you wrap crust. it in foil? No, no. Um, you know, when you're wrapping foil, you're steaming. You're not grilling. Right. So you don't okay. Get that so right on the flavor. grill, right on the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Love Start it. on the indirect side. Okay. Slice in half. Season it up. Yeah. Uh, get some salt. What I'll do is I'll wet it uh, and get some salt on it because the salt then melts. Once mm. it melts, it moves deep into the interior, mm. and I'll sprinkle a seasoning uh, rub on it. And just gently warm it on the indirect side, and then lift the lid, move it over to the hot side, and get the uh, skin and the cut surface nice and cr- crunchy, and we're done. Uh, and, and by the way, for really fluffy tom- uh, potatoes, use your meat thermometer and cook it to 212, boiling point, right up to 212. If you want it a little crunchy, 208. Okay. Now, what else works? Like, um, what's the best way to grill an eggplant? Well, you're the classically trained chef. Forgive me if I'm stepping on methodology here, but I've never found eggplant, fresh eggplant from the garden, so bitter that I've had to salt it and press it. And okay. I know that's what they teach you in culinary no, school. No, but me neither. And by the way, my mom never did that. And my no. grandmother didn't do it either. And I think we have enough sodium in our diet, personally. I, too, do not salt my eggplant, meathead. Yeah, I, don't. I mean, a lot of cookbooks tell you that that draws, draws the bitterness out. No, thank but- you. Maybe that's just for old eggplant. I've never found the need to it. I do lightly salt it and give it a very light brushing of oil to keep it from sticking, um, and it cooks really fast. In fact, it almost turns to custard in the center when you grill it. Um, but here's, here's a really good recipe. Um, you grill a couple of eggplant planks. You can either cut it lengthwise and make big planks or widthwise and make discs. Um, and uh, I'll then grill... Tomato, mm. onion, mm-hmm. garlic, mm-hmm. carrot, celery, and get a good little uh, darkness to the exterior. And when the carrots and celery are limp, I'll bring them inside, pull the skin off the tomato, throw them all in the blender. I know what you're making. You're making baba ganoush. I'm, well, I, actually, I'm, I'm not using the eggplant yet. Yes, eggplant makes great baba No, I'm making marinara sauce to go on oh, top of the eggplant. You are. You're making I'm grilled just marinara? I'm tomatoes and everything else. Oh, But how yes, cool. you can make baba ganoush on the grill, and when you grill the eggplant first, it's wonderful. Oh, for sure. But you're making grilled marinara from all these grilled ingredients. Forgive just me. Just like the you tomatoes, would from any other marinara. Onion, I mean, I make garlic. marinara with tomato and carrot and celery yes. and onion and garlic you grill them all off until they're tender pull the skin off the tomatoes whip them up in the uh blender and you have the most wonderful and it's really concentrated has that grill flavor then i'll put that on top of the grilled eggplant slices sprinkle it with some grilled parmigiano reggiano and you have eggplant parmesan oh, and it is know. really good now you're talking and that, at say marinara, you can use it on meatballs or spaghetti. I have mm. friends over. I tell them we're having grilled spaghetti, and they go, "Huh?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see that. I love that idea of a grilled marinara sauce on top of grilled eggplant. Oh yes! In fact, actually, this is a video of me doing this on uh, AmazingRibs.com. Oh, we'll go watch it. Thank you. Um, can you talk smoking vegetables before I let you go? Like um, you mentioned to me once in a past conversation that I could come over for smoked potato salad. Yeah, well, it, it's really easy. You, you cube the potatoes um, and uh, toss them in a smoker, and uh, maybe half hour, an hour, they're tender and they've got a nice coat of smoke on them. Um, and you can make your own potato salad recipe, and it really adds a enticing uh, mm. new aroma and flavor to them. He is blinding us with science. 
You will be a better grill master because of it. Learn more at amazingribs.com and order your copy of Meathead from Amazon. Go to a bookstore, uh, an independent, wherever you can find it. Meathead, happy summer, delicious grilling, and thank you as always for sharing your passion. Chef, thank you. I love it. Tremendous. As the delicious conversation continues, we do have the best culinary thinkers on this show, and you wouldn't dare touch your dial now, would you? Elevate your tastes because we're rich on flavor on this show. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Chili heads unite. It's hatch chili season. And when you think tasty, tangy, tart, sweet, spicy, and delicious, you think Melissa's. Providing beautiful quality produce to chefs and restaurants and markets for over 25 years. I'm proud and very grateful to have Melissa's Produce as a sponsor of this show since our inception almost 16 years ago, and their products just keep getting more extraordinary. Robert Schuler is our resident produce guru and the director of all things fresh and delicious for Melissa's, and he is here to dish on the prized New Mexico chili. I'm glad to have you back, Robert, and I know you're celebrating Hatch Chili season. Yes, it's <laughs> exciting time there, Chef Jamie. Thank yeah. you for having us. Yes, of course. Okay, tell us about this season's chiles. They came a little bit early. And everyone is, of course, celebrating. It's amazing to me how Hatch Chilies have always been loved and adored by food enthusiasts. But now because you've given the whole country an opportunity to taste them, their popularity has grown exponentially. Yes, definitely. Uh, the Hatch Chili season always starts up uh, sometime in August, this time earlier than usual. Mm -hmm. And we are expected to have them through mid to late September. So during this six-week six to seven week window of opportunity. Mm -hmm. This is the time to go to your local produce department and find these precious hatch chilies out of Hatch, New Mexico. And if you do the math right and you look upon the schedule, you're going to be able to find that many retailers across the country are going to be able to host um, roastings. So when you buy your hatch chilies, you can get the whole case roasted right in front of you in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, talk about convenience. Um, hatch itself, where these chilies are grown, because they come from very fertile fields in a very limited area, right, is yes. 37 miles north of Las Cruces. I know that. I've memorized that over the years. Yeah. Um, hatch, New Mexico is, a, is, is the chili capital, um, not only of the United States, but of the world. Hmm. More chilies are grown per square acre than anywhere else in the world, as we know. And they are known for these Mexican green chilies, uh, most commonly known and most famously known as the Hatch Chilies. And uh, this is in an area where very few residents reside. I think the population in that area is less than 1,600 people. Mm -hmm. However, it hosts the biggest 
um, festival for a particular uh, food item, and that is the Hatch Chili. So every year, Labor Day weekend, that Saturday and Sunday, hosts the largest food cooking event uh, for one single food item, and that is the Hatch Chili Festival. And we know um, you and I have friends and uh, associates in common that have attended the festival, that have come home with uh, beautiful wreaths of dried chilies, that have stories of Hatch Chili ice cream and Hatch Chili brownies and Hatch Chili cream cheese. I mean, Hatch Chili everything, right? Definitely. If you're... <laughs> Uh, you have to definitely be a fan of Hatch Chili yes. to enjoy this because it's impossible not to consume or drink or eat dessert without Hatch Chilies in it. In it. It's funny. Um, the chili itself is very much loved for the fact that it's a designer chili, right? I mean, similar to a Poblano or an Anaheim chili, it has a beautiful texture it has a bright green exterior but it's different in a lot of ways because it has um, a a beautiful sort of personal qualities that set it apart right yeah because of the particular growing area it grows along the fertile soils of the Rio Grande it is actually grown with some um, elevation so Hmm. daytime temperatures may get up to 90 and 100 degrees which is typical for most chili growing areas, but because it's an elevation, the nighttime lows can get down to 60 or 70 degrees. Now, that 40 um, degrees temperature change between day and night allows for this particular chili to grow a very thick flesh, almost like a meaty flesh, and that's why you're able to take this chili that's only available for um, a few weeks in August and September and be able to put them into the freezer to store them for up to two years. No other chili is meaty enough or thick enough to be able to withstand just a few months in, in the freezer, in the freezer. where you can bring it out and enjoy it in a meal. And that's why everybody flocks to the stores, gets their chilies roasted during that six or seven week time period here in mm-hmm. August and September and then stores it in the in the freezer section and pulls them out for special events, whether it's a ball game, an anniversary, mm. or uh, a particular holiday, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's. Mm. That's the way in which you can enjoy your hatch chilies throughout the year. But the key is to be able to roast amount, uh, a, a certain amount so you can have that for your events throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, of course. It's like it's like stop, stocking up. I mean, it's like a squirrel gathering, you know, a corns or mm-hmm. otherwise for the seasons to come. Chili Heads Unite. It is a really good hatch chili season. Produce guru Robert Schuler, you and me will dish some more right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I never knew chilies to come in varying heat levels until you introduced us to Hatch. And it wasn't always that there were four heat levels 
available. I mean, these are really tailor-made chilies today. And what I think is extraordinary is you can pick your heat level or store mild and hot like I do and then use them interchangeably, a mild for chili relleno. Um, I make a hatch chili ketchup by blending roasted hatch chilies with uh, prepared ketchup, a little bit of honey, lime juice, and cumin. And I like a little heat there. So you really can sort of tailor make your dishes based on this tailor made chili. Oh, and by the way, hatch chilies are incredibly delicious in chili, like a big pot of chili. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah, a little bit goes a long way. And the it's neat true. thing is, is you know, that the, the chilies. It's all about flavor. It's not necessarily the heat, but in this case, other unlike other chilies, you can pick what temperature which fits you well. Um, you know, if you're just starting off and didn't know much about chilies, you know, start off with the milds before you make your way all the way to the extra hot baker variety. <laughs> so that's the neat thing about this chili. It's the only chili that comes in the heat levels that... Um, that you seek when cooking because really if to really appreciate a chili pepper is to enjoy the flavor, yes. not necessarily the heat. Exactly. And the texture of these chilies matched with the flavor is mm-hmm. just unbeatable. I know the season just started, but what have you made thus far? What is your family loving? What's your, your signature hatch chili recipe going to be for this season, Robert? Well, uh, you know, I'm a very simple cook, and I'm the cook of the house uh, for my family there. And simply, I can just uh, make it in a hamburger or a hot dog and whatnot. I've been known for breakfast to put it in my eggs. Mm, um, I put it in a, a sandwich, just make a hoagie sandwich and whatnot. Yeah. You can easily put it into salads, mm. um, entrees. In fact, um, you actually have a copy of our Hatch Chili Cookbook. You can actually put it in desserts as well, because chili pairs so well with chocolate. Yeah, it really does. And and chili pairs very well with sweet. It's that sweet heat that people love. And the Hatch Chili Cookbook from Melissa's will give you a bevy of recipes to inspire hatch chili everything. I am planning on seeing you at a roasting in Southern California, Robert. I love that you continue to share your passion for hatch chilies. And I know that hatch chili lovers everywhere appreciate the fact that Melissa's is committed to bringing hatch chilies to food enthusiasts across the country. So you're spreading the hatch chili gospel as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Yes, and thank you, as always, for your tremendous support and your kindness and, uh, and your true produce knowledge. Um, I always find it fascinating. You can find Hatch Chilies when it comes to Melissa's. It's a snap. There is a Hatch Chili roasting happening at a grocery store near you. Anywhere across the country, you can find a list of stores at melissas.com. And then, of course, at chefjamie.com, you'll find our weekly Melissa's Produce Pick. So you're always sure what's fresh, what's in season. You'll find a link to their website full of really resourceful fruit and veggie information. It's all at melissas.com. Cheers to Hatch Chili Season. Robert, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again for sharing your passion. Thank you. And there's more delicious conversation in your radio, Hatch Chili Lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, we'll be right back.
This is where culinary information abounds. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're getting fresh today. From artichokes to yucca, this is your chance to get to know your veggies and to learn practical tips and delectable recipes for how to cook them. Nearly 90% of Americans are not eating the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables. Are you one of those people? Well, editor-in-chief of Eating Well magazine and eatingwell.com, Jesse Price is here to share vegetables from A to Z. The new cookbook release, Eating Well Vegetables, is a really beautiful, vibrant compilation of vegetable recipes that will inspire you to eat better and with the season. And I am delighted that Jesse has stopped by to dish. Glad to have you. Hi there. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, of course. Okay, inspire us, please. Because I will tell you, I found the book very inspiring. I mean, not only are the photographs really delicious, they're beautiful, and the recipes unique and different. But I think if we can change up our veggie preparations, like from the predictable ones that you talk about, to new inspiring recipes, then it will be more compelling to eat the vegetable side dish on the table. I totally agree with you on that. And I think... Um, you know, think about the grocery store. What What do you think is the most beautiful part of the grocery store? Hmm. The produce section, of course. Duh, Duh. of course, right. right? It's like going to the farmer's market. It's it's a field trip. I love that. Exactly. It's an easy answer. It's not the cracker aisle. It's the produce section. Sure. It's so, so many different colors and shapes and sizes and textures and Um, You know, that's what vegetables are about, is this amazing diversity. So a big book just focused on vegetables made perfect sense to me and to our team here. And um, I think this book is all about showcasing that variety and getting people inspired to try new things. Let's talk about the underutilized, the underappreciated in yes. fact, you call them underdog vegetables from eatingwell.com, yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think eggplant has a really bad rap, and I happen to yep. be an eggplant lover. And I think um, fresh peas, which we use, usually see in spring but have um, now uh, taken way through summer to yep. show themselves. Um, and I think both of them deserve some praise. I totally agree with you. I think eggplant is interesting. Um, we actually have a lot of people searching for eggplant who end up on our website. And I think it's because people don't know what to do with it. But um, at Eating Well, we love eggplant and we love to do all sorts of recipes. Mm-hmm. And um, this book, my two favorite eggplant recipes in here, one is from um, the chef Michael Solomonov. Um, his restaurant is Zahav in Philadelphia. Yes, great and he talent. Does a- yeah, he's amazing. And his marinated eggplant with green chermoula is really fabulous. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Thai pork and shrimp stuffed eggplant that's like a major showstopper for a dinner party. All right. And then let's talk tomatoes before I let you go, because we would be remiss if we didn't talk tomatoes during the, the peak of summer. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. I think simply sliced and then a few key toppings. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can riff on that idea endlessly. Like in the, in the book, there's a, just a simple tomato, 
onion, a sweet onion, and cucumber salad um, with a vinaigrette made with rice vinegar. Um, there's always panzanella, which is, you know, you add bread to the mix in your tomato I salad. I love a panzanella. Oh, yes. I can't get enough of it because I'm a big, big um, bread lover. I always find eating well uh, impressive and inspiring, and this book is uh, exactly that, no doubt. The new book from Eating Well called Eating Well Vegetables, the essential reference of veggies from A to Z. It's a beautiful compilation of recipes, not only from their website, but new creations as well, a vibrant table top coffee table book and one that you will use as your go-to no doubt for daily inspiration you can find the new eating well vegetables book available on amazon and bookstores as well and then you can find uh, more creations for beautiful veggies on eatingwell.com jesse come back soon please and we'll talk next season about what inspires us and what you're cooking that sounds great thank you jamie and so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation i hope that you gained ideas and inspiration to eat better and live better and that you found inspiring culinary insight to make every day more delicious I do hope that you'll tune in every Sunday for more fabulous food in your radio as well. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic conversation for this Sunday. During the summer, I love a classic gin and tonic. There's something wonderfully refreshing about it. It's a perfect pool cocktail, but when blueberries are so sweet and the basil in my backyard is growing rampant... I make blueberry basil gin and tonics. And so here's how you will toast to summer. In the bottom of a rocks glass, you muddle a few leaves of basil with about 10 blueberries and a little bit of lemon juice and some simple syrup or agave. And you create all that wonderful, fabulous flavor and really vibrant color. Then you add ice, fill the glass with gin and a splash of tonic. And of course, the straw is optional. The basil is really subtle, but it gives that herbaceous, beautiful quality. The gin adds a great kick of flavor. The blueberries add a beautiful freshness with a little bit of simple syrup or agave to heighten their sweetness. And the lemon juice offers just enough acid to sort of meld it all together. It is thirst-quenchingly delicious, and I will post my blueberry basil gin and tonic recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where you'll find my daily dish. And of course, I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. I will meet you here next Sunday for more insightful, enlightening, informative, and hopefully entertaining culinary conversation. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. And I hope you continue to eat well.